death is defeated. The penalty for sin is paid. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your finished work on the cross. Thank you, that means life for me, Lord God. That means security. Thank you, Lord, that it means that when my life is hid with you, Lord Jesus, I'm in that safe and secure place. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You have become my hope for today, my hope for the future. Lord Jesus, you are my all in all. Lord, I worship you. I give you praise. Amen. Please um, take your seats. Thank you, Ben. Thank you for leading us so well this morning. So in a few minutes, we're going to um, have church news from Gary and then our offering. Most of you will know the offering we take here funds entirely the work of the church. We, it is your offerings, your gifts, your tithes, your generosity that makes all that we do as a church possible. And I uh, just want to say thank you again for that as we come to the offering in a moment. In our preach today, Andrew's going to be continuing our trending series. Today we're going to be talking about um, some really topical subjects. We're going to be talking about death. We're going to be talking about euthanasia, assisted suicide end-of-life care, suffering as well. And I'm really praying, and we've been praying as a team, that what Andrew shares will be really helpful for most of us today and help us to really develop a biblical view of these topics that we all come up against in our lives. We're grateful for Andrew, aren't we? His intellectual strength, his rigour of thinking and his clarity of presentation that uh, allows him to help us to really think well about these topics. But I just want to say that um, as a leadership team, we've talked these things through with Andrew. For for me uh, and Paul as well as the eldership, we're fully behind, fully supportive of everything that he will share today. So when he speaks today, he speaks on behalf of ourselves as the elders and, and the whole team. But we're also aware that for some of you, these topics are uh, very present in your lives at the moment, maybe even very painful. And uh, we just want to, in a sense, warn you about what we're going to be talking about today. I hope that for most of us it will be really helpful. But if you're someone who's going through these things at the moment, they're very fresh in your mind and you feel, I'm not sure I'm ready to just sit and face that today, that's absolutely fine. Do feel free just to slip out. Um, either we're going to have a couple of minutes break in a second or um, when Andrew comes up, whatever way is helpful to you or even as Andrew goes through, if you think, oh, you know, I'd like a bit of space uh, around this, do take that space. We just want to encourage you to do that. We're really conscious that the topics that we're dealing with are, you know, we're hoping to help you to think in a really biblical way, but um, sometimes it's, it's hard to be in a place to receive and hear that, and uh, we want to help you in that way. The pastoral team, the ministry team will be around and uh, uh, ready to help you, and they'll all have their badges on. So, we're just going to take now just that couple of minutes break, I, saw, I said, Say hi to the people around you, prepare your hearts, and uh, then we're going to have the notices, and then Andrew will be coming up to speak to us. You're up onto the stage. Thank you very much. Good morning, everybody. Let me just get all sorted.
Okay, so as Steve said, we're going to continue in our trending series today. We're really, uh, feel stirred by God, this is a really significant thing for us, that in a very fast-changing world, there's all sorts of viewpoints, we need to be men and women who love Jesus and say we want to listen to what God has said to us in his word, and we want to bring our lives into line with it, knowing that he has shown us the way to human flourishing, the best way for us to live our lives. And as Steve mentioned, today we're going to tackle a really difficult topic. We're going to talk today about euthanasia, about assisted suicide, and about end-of-life care. These are hugely difficult, hugely complex, hugely emotive issues. And it's inevitable that in the kind of 30, 35 minutes I've got this morning, we can't cover every question, we can't uh, cover every issue related to this topic. But my real hope and prayer this morning is that we catch hold of something of God's heart on all the kind of topics related around this area. Let me start just by clarifying what we're talking about, giving some definitions. Because euthanasia and assisted suicide are slightly different. Euthanasia refers to the killing of another person in order to end suffering. It can be voluntary, which means the individual has requested that someone end their life. Or it can be involuntary, because the individual is either unable to make that decision or unable to communicate that decision, and so someone else takes it for them. Assisted suicide is slightly different. Assisted suicide is where somebody is helped to end their own life. But behind both of these questions, the question we're going to need to ask today is, do we as humans ever have the right to end another human life? But of course, this isn't just an abstract issue. We're not just talking about an issue over there. We're talking about real people, real life experiences. Let me just share with you three quick stories which illustrate, while this is a a real life thing, and we need to be conscious of this being about people and experiences, not just an abstract issue. One story comes from this year, the last few months in the UK. You might have seen in the media the story of Noel Conway. Noel Conway is a 67-year-old retired lecturer who has motor neuron disease. That's a a muscle-wasting disease, and uh, he has taken his case to the High Court in the UK to fight for the right to choose when to end his own life. He's been quoted as saying that he fears unbearable suffering. He fears the chance of having a drawn-out, traumatic death. And he fears that one day he could end up as someone trapped in his own body, but unable to use his body. So he went to the high court to fight against the law in this country, which at the moment doesn't allow him to have an assisted death. But the courts ruled that it's not a breach of his human rights to deny him that right. But Conway is continuing to campaign for the right to choose when his life ends. Another really famous real-life story from 10 years ago in this country was the story of Daniel James. Daniel James was a young guy in his 20s, a really keen and really good rugby player, who aged just 22, had a very serious accident which left him paralysed from the chest down. In the months which followed, he tried to commit suicide twice, but was unsuccessful on both occasions, and eventually he applied to go to Dignitas, which is an assisted suicide uh, centre in Switzerland. He went there with his parents and ended his life aged just 22 in 2008. Perhaps one of the most heartbreaking stories, though, came out just last year, 2016, from the Netherlands, where a young woman in just her 20s was suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder and a number of other mental health illnesses as a result of years and years of childhood abuse. And she had a lot of therapy with doctors, but doctors eventually said that her condition was incurable. And doctors agreed to her wish and her request to end her life. 
In the Netherlands at the moment, the law states that you don't have to have a terminal diagnosis in order to be helped to end your life. And so just in her 20s, this dear young woman underwent euthanasia by lethal injection just last year. This is not an abstract issue. This is about real people, real life experiences. This is about asking the question, how do we respond to extreme suffering and to life-limiting illnesses and injuries? Across the UK, uh, or sorry, in the UK, both euthanasia and assisted suicide are illegal. But there are a number of countries in Europe, places like Switzerland, Netherlands, Belgium, and six different states in America where euthanasia and or assisted dying are legal. But research suggests that here in the UK, 82% of people believe there should be a change in the current UK law. It's a topic which really divides people, and it's a topic which also seems to divide Christians. The same research showed that 79% of religious people in the UK think that the assisted dying law should be changed. That obviously would include more than Christians, but would include Christians. And when the topic was last debated in the House of Commons in 2015, prominent Christians came out on both sides of the debate. So some Christians, such as Justin Welby, the Archbishop of Canterbury, and uh, Steve Clifford, who's the Director General of the Evangelical Alliance, spoke out against a change in the law. But others, such as the former Archbishop, um, Archbishop Lord Carey, supported a change. And the famous retired Bishop Desmond Tutu in South Africa, who was a prominent anti-apartheid campaigner, he also, in the last few years, has come out in support of assisted suicide. So how should we respond? With Christians being on both sides, how do we respond to euthanasia, assisted suicide, to the pressure in the campaigns in our country to see it be made legal? And how do we respond to extreme suffering and to life-limiting illnesses and injuries and to end-of-life care? What I want to do this morning is to look together at some of the arguments that people give in favour of allowing euthanasia and assisted suicide. And for us to look together and to ask, how does that match up with what the Bible says to us, what God has said to us? And then we're going to look at what is God's better story in light of extreme suffering and in light of life-limiting conditions. And then finally, we need to ask, what is our practical response? What do you and I do in light of some of the experiences of people around us? Before we jump in, let me just recommend a couple of books, which if you want to kind of explore this topic further, would be a great place to start. The first one is a nice little short one. It's by a guy called Vaughan Roberts, and it's called Assisted Suicide. Inevitably being very short, he can't cover anything in great detail, but he does a really good job of introducing all the key areas of the topic and giving a really good Christian response, very similar to the one I'll be given this morning. That's available today out at Resources in Coffee Box. The second one is by John Wyatt, and it's called A Right to Die. He covers things in more detail. He talks about some of the history uh, of the topic. He talks about the legal situation in different countries, more in detail about different arguments for and different Christian responses to it. And what does it mean to do end-of-life care well and to have a good death as a Christian? That one, I think, isn't actually in the resources store today, but you can order it via resources if you'd like to. So let's start by looking at some of these arguments that are used to support cases for euthanasia and assisted suicide and ask, what does the Bible say? How would the Bible respond to them? The first argument, and probably the one most of us would first think of, is the argument from compassion. This says that if people are experiencing extreme and unbearable suffering, then the compassionate response that we should make is to help them to end their lives. 
Often people hear during the example of what we do with animals. People say that when an animal is suffering, we agree that it's the right thing to do to end the animal's life in order to end their suffering. And people say, why shouldn't we show the same compassion to our fellow human beings? How does the Bible respond to that? Well, the first thing to say, actually, is that the response of compassion is the right response. God is a God of comfort. He is a God of compassion. And suffering breaks his heart because he made a perfect world. And suffering has come in as an enemy as the result of human sin. When we as humans turned our hearts away from God, his perfect world became broken. And so every bit of suffering is an intrusion into God's perfect world. That means it breaks God's heart. And so it should break our heart too. Compassion is always the right first response to human suffering. But the Bible also shows us that human life is special and precious. And human life is fundamentally different to animal life. We see this in Genesis 1. When God creates the world in seven days, on day six, he creates both the animals and the humans. But only of the, only of the humans does God say, let us make man in our own image, after our own likeness. Only human life is made in the likeness of God, in the image of God. There is something about it which is different and special and supremely valuable. We see the same actually in Genesis 2, the second creation account. The animals are just formed, we're told, but the man is created and God breathes life into him. Human life is a gift from God. It is special. It is valuable. And the Bible teaches that it's only in the hands of God to end a human life. Only God has the right to end a human life. For example, in Deuteronomy 32, this is God speaking. He says, see now that I, even I, am he, and there is no God besides me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. Or we can go through to the New Testament. Go to the letter of James, where James is talking about people who are making grand plans for their future, marking all the days and years, what they're going to do. But James says, instead of making these grand plans, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. He says, life is dependent on the will of God. It is in the hands of God. It is not within our hands. It is not within our rights to end human lives. And this seems to be a fact which actually in some way is kind of deeply ingrained into us as human beings. Research in uh, the Netherlands and the USA has shown that doctors who are involved in cases of euthanasia and assisted suicide are often deeply, deeply affected by what they're doing. One Dutch doctor is quoted as saying, It nags at your conscience. I wonder what it would be like not to have these cases in my practice. Perhaps I would be a much more cheerful person. Another one tells the fact that whenever he has to perform a case of euthanasia, he always books in for the very final thing on a Friday because he knows it will take him the whole weekend to recover in order to be fit enough to go to work again on Monday. One young doctor, after his first experience of being involved in one of these stories, was asked how he felt, and he simply said he felt awful. There's something inside of us, deep within us, that knows that it is not within our hands to end a human life. This might raise some questions for us. One of the common questions many of us will think, will think well, what about switching off a life support machine? Because that is a far more common thing. Even in this country, that would happen on a regular basis. Isn't that the same? But actually, switching off a life support machine, there is an important difference. When a life support machine is switched off, 
the death that occurs happens because of an existing injury or an existing illness. The death is allowed to take place by human actions. The death is not caused by human actions. The difference with euthanasia and assisted suicide is human actions cause the death to take place. And therefore, that is what is not in our hands. That's what we as humans do not have the right to do. So the right response of compassion is there in us. Compassion is the right response to extreme suffering, to life-limiting conditions. But it is not in our hands to end human life. But we must find compassionate ways to help and to respond. And one of those that has developed over the last kind of hundred years, which has been motivated by Christians and Christian principles, has been the palliative care movement. Palliative care seeks to remove as much physical and non-physical suffering in the months and weeks and days leading up to death as is possible. The idea is to care for physical needs and wider needs, needs for love and support and care. They need to talk and to process different things. And the motto is about killing the pain rather than killing the sufferer. And the development of palliative care and hospices in our own nation has been motivated by Christian principles. People who recognise that every life is worthy of dignity, that people should be able to live before they die. That is a good and right response of the compassion we naturally feel in response to these situations. So we must respond with compassion, but we must find the right ways within the parameters that God has given us to do that. That's argument number one, the argument from compassion. A second common argument brought is the argument from dignity. This argument says that it's not right for us to force someone to endure the loss of their dignity by forcing them to remain alive as they become unable to care for themselves and unable to control their own bodies. It's an understanding of dignity rooted in what we do. Once we're able to, unable to look after ourselves, to care for ourselves, when we become dependent on other people, we lose our dignity. And it's not fair, the argument says, for us to force people into that situation. In that situation, the argument says we should allow people to make the choice to have help to end their life. But the Bible tells us that our dignity, our being worthy of honour and respect and love and care, is not rooted in what we do. It is rooted in who we are. It's rooted again in the fact that human life is special and precious, that every single one of us is made in the image of God. That means regardless of what we can do and what we can't do, regardless of what we have done and what we have not done, we are all worthy of honour and respect. We all have inherent dignity within us. And actually part of what lies behind this argument, this argument from dignity, is actually a desire for independence. It's the idea that to become dependent on other people is to lose your dignity and your worth and your value. The reason our culture thinks that is we live in a culture which really values self-sufficiency. In our culture, to be self-sufficient, to be kind of okay on your own, to not need other people, to be getting by just fine, is a marker of success. And to be dependent on other people is seen as failure. We want to seem like we've got it all together and life is all fine. And so suddenly to be dependent on others makes us feel like a failure, makes us believe that we've lost our dignity. On the flip side, then, we fear being a burden to other people. If other people are having to care for us and help us, we fear that we are being an unfair burden upon them. But the Bible tells us that we are not created to be independent. We are created to be interdependent. We are created to love and support and care for one another. That's what the Bible means when it talks about us being family together. Family loves and supports and cares. It does whatever is necessary to help each person thrive and flourish. 
We're also called to bear one another's burdens. Galatians 6, Paul tells the Christians, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We fear burdening people, but actually we're meant to burden each other. And we're meant to get alongside and to carry each other's burdens. You know, it's really interesting that none of us think that babies are less dignified because they rely on other people to help them do everything. And yet it's strange that then when it comes to the end of life, suddenly we think it's undignified to be dependent upon others. But actually it can be a really, really beautiful thing to care for those in the latter stages of life. Many of you will know that my grandparents were in a care home for about 18 months before both dying earlier this year. And over that time, they both lost the ability to care for themselves fully. And there were times when I would arrive, and for one reason or another, Grandma was half-dressed, and I'd have to help her get dressed, or Grandpa needed help eating his food. And there's a kind of a role reversal. Those who once looked after me, I was involved in helping to look after them. And that's not an easy situation to be in. And it's a situation many of us will face at different points in our lives, something which is difficult and painful. And it's so important that we, as a family, support each other in those situations, that we spare each other wrong. We are there for people to talk to. We love each other. We encourage each other. But there's also something quite beautiful in it. There's something beautiful about being able to love and care for those who once loved and cared for you. And I think it's a wonderful example of the interdependence for which God has made each and every one of us. Our dignity is not based on what we do or on our independence. Our dignity is based on who we are, and we are built to be interdependent with each other. And the final, most common argument you find being brought in support of euthanasia and assisted suicide is the argument for control. Is the argument that we as individuals should have control over our own lives and over our own bodies. It's what sometimes is called autonomy, which means self-rule. We should be able to rule over ourselves and no one should be able to control us. We have that control ourselves. And that's really one of the key principles of our culture. That's where what we call individualism comes from. The idea that we're individuals who are in control of our own destinies and should have full rights over ourselves. And in many ways, actually, in many areas of life, this is, of course, true. God hates abuse which takes away people's rights or which takes away people's control. There is such a thing as a wrong use of control which actually ends up as the abuse of other people. But as we've seen, the Bible is very clear that it is not in our hands, it is not our right to end human lives. There are some elements of control over our lives and our existence that belong purely to God. And the end of our life is one of those. When we claim to have the right to choose when we die or how we die and to end our lives, we're putting ourselves in the position that is reserved for God. We're giving ourselves the right, which actually is a right which only God can have. And in practice, this is actually recognised because most or pretty much everybody who is fighting for euthanasia or assisted suicide from this argument wants safeguards. They want things in place to protect people. So most people want there to be safeguards like the decision needing to be made rationally. The decision being what they call enduring and persisting, which means it's not a one time someone's thought, I want help to end my life. It is an enduring, ongoing, persisting desire. And that means the fact is that none of us really want any of us to have full control over our lives. If we want there to be safeguards in place, then actually we don't really believe that every person should have complete control over their own body and their own life. If we really believe this and pushed it actually to its logical conclusion, 
We should be legalizing assisted suicide or euthanasia for anyone, regardless of what's going on in their life, regardless of any medical condition, any problems in life. This argument actually has a fundamental flaw that none of us really believe it because none of us want it to go to its end uh, result, its end goal. That control to end human life doesn't lie in our hands. It's not a decision the Bible says for us to take. So the Bible shows us that euthanasia and assisted suicide are not the responses that God would have us make to extreme suffering and to life-limiting illness and injury. And so therefore, what is God's answer? What would God say? What would God have us say? How does God offer a better story than campaigners for assisted suicide and euthanasia? God offers a better story, a better answer in the gospel. In the good news of what God, he has done through his son, Jesus Christ, coming to the world. The gospel tells us that both suffering and death are intrusions into God's perfect world. They are enemies who've come because of human rebellion against God. But the defeat of the enemies of suffering and death does not come by us choosing when and how to end our own lives. It comes through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one who has defeated death. And Jesus is the one who somehow redeems our sufferings. Jesus has defeated death. Death, the Bible says, is this enemy that has come into the world because of human sin. It is the unnatural separation of our physical bodies and our core selves, our souls within us. And the Bible tells us that death comes as the wages of sin. It's the thing you get in payment in return for our rebellion against God. But Jesus came in order to take those wages upon himself. Jesus came to die in our place, to be our substitute, to die so that we don't have to. And Jesus said that anyone who believes in him, even though we might go through physical death, Anyone who believes in him gets eternal life. We come into a life where there is no more death, where there is no more suffering, where there are no more tears. And the Bible tells us that means that we can face death, not with horror, but with hope. And the Bible would say to us that that hope has some deep power to sustain us through whatever we might experience this side of that new life, whatever we suffering we might experience before death. Jesus is the one who has defeated death, but Jesus also is the one who redeems our suffering. In addition to the love and the compassion that he gives us and that we receive from the people that he has put around us, Jesus somehow gives meaning and purpose to suffering. And Jesus is the prime example of this. He's the prime example of a biblical pattern that extreme suffering leads to what the Bible calls glorification. That means being united, reunited to God, spending eternity with him in utter, utter perfection. That's what we see with Jesus. He suffered extreme suffering, but it led to his glorification, his being raised up to new life with God. We see this, for example, in Romans 8. Where Paul says that we're children of God, and that means we're heirs of God, we are co-heirs of Christ. And then he says, provided we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified with him. It's really interesting, Paul talks about being a child of God, the first thing he thinks of is suffering. Suffering is part of the course of being a child of God. But he's saying that suffering means that we will also be glorified with him. Somehow suffering in this life is preparing something wonderful for us in eternity. 
Or again, Paul, in a different letter, in 2 Corinthians, he says that somehow every piece of suffering we might experience on this earth is a light and momentary affliction, which is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And he's not minimizing suffering here. Paul suffered extreme things. He's not saying get over it. He's not saying we don't really suffer. But he's saying the wonderful truth is that in comparison with the eternal glory we will one day enjoy as God's people with Jesus. Anything we experience now will seem at that point just like a light and momentary affliction. This perspective helps us to keep going. It helps us to have hope. It helps us to have energy, whatever we might face. Biblically speaking, suffering is not something to be avoided by escape through death. It's something which actually God uses for good. It's something he uses as an opportunity for us to learn, for us to grow, to grow closer to him, closer to those around us, to know his comfort and the comfort of people around us. One of the best examples of this in our own uh, day and age, our own generation, has been the story of Joni Erickson Tada. Joni had a, a diving accident at age 17, which left her as a quadriplegic. So she lost the use of her legs and the use of her hands and has lived the last 50 years dependent on care and living in a wheelchair. And just very recently, she's written an article reflecting on 50 years of extreme suffering and living as someone who's paralyzed. And she said this, Decades of study, paralysis, pain and cancer have taught me to say it was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees. If I were to nail down suffering's main purpose, I'd say it's the textbook that teaches me who I really am. Somehow this dear woman has found that God has used even the most horrible, horrific situation, the most terrible suffering to work good in her and for her and in her life. And that's the promise of the Bible to us. Whatever suffering we might face, somehow God uses it for good. Friends, this is the better story that God offers. In contrast to campaigns for euthanasia and assisted suicide, that no suffering we ever experience is meaningless or is outside of God's goodness and his control. That we have a hope beyond death which gives us the energy to keep going. It helps us to persevere through whatever we may come. That along with the love, the compassion, the goodness, the support that he gives us and the people he's put around give us, we can endure suffering and we can face our deaths with hope, not with horror. That's God's better story, I believe, in relation to this topic. And then what finally, though, what about our practical response? What should you and I do in order to kind of enact that better story, in order to live God's way in light of this topic? Well, the first thing I think, I think it starts with us. And I think it starts with us learning to live out this better story. All these things we've talked about this morning are things most of us, if we're Christians, would very easily affirm that our dignity is based on who we are and what we do, that we're meant to be interdependent on each other. But it's a very different thing to say those things are true than it is to actually live them as true in our own lives. We need to live out this better story so that people around us can see that it is good, can see that it is plausible, can see that it works. We need to do this in the face of suffering. We may not experience extreme physical or mental suffering akin to some of the stories we heard at the beginning, but every single one of us will experience some level of suffering in our life. 
And that is an opportunity for us to live out this better story, to trust in God, to trust that somehow he's using it to good, for know that it's creating, it's preparing for us an eternal weight of glory, to know that we know his love and comfort in it, and that he has put us in a community to be loved and cared for in the midst of that. As we live out that better story, people around us begin to see it's plausible. There's a better way of living through suffering. We need to do the same with dignity. As I said, many of us would easily say, yes, our dignity is based on who we are, not what we do. And yet, actually, in reality, the way we live our lives is so often shaped by a believing that our worth is found in what we do, not who we are. For many of us, that's the reason we are uncontrollably busy. For many of us, that's the reason we overwork and we're stressed and we're tired all the time. That's the reason we make wrong value judgments about other people. Because actually, in practice, we think our worth is based on what we do, not actually who God has made us to be. We need to be a people who really know this and live this out, both for ourselves and in our interactions with other people, so that people really see that it is true that our dignity is in who we are, not in what we can and can't do. And finally, we need to live out this better story in the case of dependence. Again, many of us would say, yes, we're built to be interdependent, and that we then strive to be as independent as we can. It's so easy for us to fall into the lie of our culture that self-sufficiency is success. We should be okay on our own. We need to be a people whose lives are intertwined. We're living interdependent. We are loving and supporting and caring for each other to show people that there is a better way to live life. I've seen this in my own life in a really simple way just recently where I've been struggling a bit with some stuff and I found myself when I was texting friends to share that I was feeling low or lonely or whatever it might be, I would so often write at the end of the text, I'm sorry to burden you or I'm sorry to put this on you. And I felt God challenged me, that we're meant to carry each other's burdens. We're meant to live interdependent. When I wrote that, I was believing the lie that I'm failing because I'm not okay on my own. And so actually now I'm trying to discipline myself to delete that bit of the text Because actually that's not true. It's a tiny thing, but it was evidence that in my life I'm not believing the truth. And it's things like that. We need to step into believing the truth, living it out in our own lives to show this better story to the people around us. I think that's one of our practical responses, to live out the better story. Another one is to find right expressions for compassion. For many of us, the reason we feel an affinity with the case for euthanasia and assisted suicide is because our heart kind of overflows with compassion when we hear about stories of such extreme suffering and end-of-life experiences and life-limiting illnesses and injuries. And so we need to find the right ways to harness and express that compassion. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1 that God is a God of comfort, and God, the God of comfort, comforts us so that we might comfort other people with the comfort which we have been comforted. God comforts us, we comfort people. We are people who are uniquely equipped in the world to offer comfort. Uniquely equipped to love, to demonstrate compassion to people. You know, often what that will mean, actually part of the kind of multifaceted way that the Bible answers the problem of suffering, sometimes that means just being with people. That's what the word compassion actually means. It's about being with people in suffering, come with passion, suffering. Sometimes, actually, in these situations, the right thing to do is to sit and to weep with those who weep, to mourn with those who mourn, to come alongside and to seek God for wisdom for the best way to show his love and his comfort and his compassion. 
And being alongside those we know and love in the final stages of life, being able to show that love and compassion can be really precious moments that God can use for his good and for our good. And finally, there are just hands-on things we could do, things about hands-on care that we might feel stirred by God to get involved in. We can get involved in volunteering at hospices. As we said, hospices are one of the best compassionate responses that Christians have developed in in response to extreme suffering. And hospices are always asking for support. It might be we support financially. It might be we support through giving time and volunteering. We can be those who actually help care for the non-medical needs of people in their final months and weeks and years. I think one of the hands-on things we can do is to look out for those people who are in our communities who are older and who are lonely. Research just a couple of years ago showed that 2.9 million people, older people in the UK, feel they have no one to turn to for support. These people are our neighbours, they're the people on our street corners, they're the people in our towns and in our villages. They're people who frankly might just be feeling so isolated they feel their life is no longer worth living. But we can be the people who show them love and care, who give them friendship. Let's be people who look out for those who are lonely and older. And finally, we just need to be the kind of community where we truly bear each other's burdens. We truly love and support whatever the experience of life we might be going through is, however hard it might be, whatever the type of suffering we are, we need to create the kind of community which shows a better way of walking through these things. So we're supporting those who are facing end of life and we're supporting and caring and loving for those who are caring for others in that situation. Let me finish with a good news story. This news story happened to come out on BBC uh, this week and is a wonderful example of how a practical response can make a humongous difference. It's a story of a man called Colin Campbell. He's a 56-year-old guy in the UK who was diagnosed with MS, multiple sclerosis, in 1995. That's a disease which attacks the nervous system, so over time you become more and more unable to use your own body. And he was finding life increasingly difficult, and he had applied to and been accepted to go to Dignitas, the assisted suicide centre in Switzerland. And in the months leading up to the date he was due to go to Switzerland, he featured on a Scottish TV documentary about um, assisted suicide. And a lady who lived in the same city as him, who also had MS, saw this TV programme and was really heartbroken by his story and recognised that there was lots of practical help that Colin could receive to help him uh, uh, function more in life and enjoy life more that he just didn't know about and he wasn't receiving. And so this brilliant woman managed to track him down, got in contact with him, befriended him, kind of supported him, and helped him to get in touch with all of the different organisations and different ways that he could have support. So much so that Colin cancelled his trip, and he's giving life another go with all the support, both the practical things and the kind of relational things that are there for him. So a wonderful example of how one person completely made a difference. One person literally saved somebody's life by showing them there is a better way, there is a better story. Friends, we as the people of God are uniquely positioned to do that, with the love of God motivating us, both in practical ways and by declaring and demonstrating God's better story. We can be those who show a better response to extreme suffering and to life-limiting illness and injury. Can I invite the band to head back up, please? 
As Steve mentioned, we so know that these are things which for every one of us will have stirred up different feelings, different memories, different things going on, uh, maybe in our present. And we want to make it as easy as possible for you to receive some support, to talk, to pray, if you'd like that. So I think coming up behind me will be a slide which gives the different ways you can do that, different people you can talk to. Or if it's a bit intimidating or you're not ready to talk to someone directly, drop us an email on the pastoral deacon's email address so that we can get back to you and make sure that we come alongside you. Let's be family together as we kind of engage with these issues. But maybe you're here today and you're facing death yourself, whether that's your own death or whether that's the death of someone you know, someone you love. Maybe you fear great suffering, actually, that might come your way before death. Friend, let me encourage you with these glorious truths that Jesus has defeated death. He has removed its sting, that we need not fear it, that none of our suffering is meaningless. God is always in control. God is always working out a good plan, even through suffering. Things may be hard. Things may be difficult for all of us when we get to that stage of life. But it's an opportunity for us to draw near to God. Draw near to God. Draw near to us, to those he has put around you. We are here to love and to care for you and to support you. We are here together to walk out this better story. Maybe you're here today and you personally just feel without hope. Maybe you just feel in utter darkness and maybe actually you're sitting here today and you've been thinking about ending your own life because you feel there is no hope. Friend, let me say to you that God loves you so, so much. He made you and he knows you inside out. He knows your every experience. He knows your every thought and he loves you more than you can know. Friend, let me tell you that we love you. We as the church love you and want to be family alongside you. It is no coincidence that God has brought you here today. He's brought you here to be loved and to be cared for and to be looked after. Please, if that is you, come and talk to one of us so that we can be family alongside you. We can love you and care for you. And for all of us today, there are wonderful truths to help us. Here, what we said today, there are wonderful truths to help us and sustain us. Whatever's going on in life, however we might feel, we live as those who know that Jesus has defeated death. That whatever suffering we're in or we may come into, none of it is meaningless. God somehow is working in his good plan. And that when we reach that wonderful glory with Jesus, every bit of suffering will just seem like a light and momentary affliction as we enjoy eternity with him. Can I ask you, if you're willing and able, to stand with me? We're just going to finish this morning by worshipping God in song again. And it's just a chance for us to come before God and to do business with him, to express whatever we feel we need to express, for him to come and talk to us. Steve will close up the meeting then, but please do remember, please do take some action. Come along, get, um, come and grab one of us, come and use one of those channels to follow this up further, if you feel you need to this morning.
Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are that cornerstone, Lord God. Lord, through the various situations of life, Lord, Lord, you are that firm foundation. Lord, we thank you that you have set out in your word, Lord God, Lord, those principles for human flourishing, Lord God. Lord, I just pray that you will take the words that have been spoken today. Lord God, help us to grasp them, Lord, deep in our, our spirits, deep in our hearts, Lord God. Lord, that we may see the pattern that you've laid out for us. And Lord, I pray, I pray for anyone touched today, Lord God. Lord, that that message of compassion, Lord God, Lord, will come to them too. Lord, we just pray, won't you just take all that's been said, and just help us to live it out in our lives, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So please, if you have been touched by anything today and you'd like um, to talk to someone, to respond in some way, please either come to the front, find one of us, or find someone with a ministry team badge and they'll be happy to help you. But thanks again to Andrew just for serving us so well. Such a gracious God. We're so privileged that he's part of the team here. Enjoy the rest of the day and uh, we'll see you.